Welcome to a Heritage Christian Centre podcast. For more information, visit www.heritagecc.com.au. We hope this message blesses your life. Um, yeah, guys, men's conference is coming up and, and I would strongly encourage you to get there. Pastor Nathan Bean is coming up with his wife, Beck, and their two boys, Cooper and Emerson. Um, I think they just started doing some snorkelling, I think, spearfishing. So, Jeremy, we might have to sort of link you a little bit with them to you know, give them in the loop, you know. Um, but but uh, they're, they're just such a, a great family. So I've played golf with Nathan and Shane Willard and a couple others, and, and I love his heart. Um, they have a genuine, he and Beck have a genuine love for God and his word. Uh, and they love people and they want to see people grow in faith and their love for each other and others as well. He's an ordained minister, has been in the ministry for over 16 years in multiple churches, thriving both in Australia and in the States. He's come back to Australia, communicates the word with a passion and a humour and wants to unlock the truth of the scriptures and the power of the gospel. He's been the senior pastor at Nexus since 2018 and Nexus is a church in Everton Park, north side of Brisbane. It's one of the significant churches in that whole area. It's got a school of over a thousand students attached to it and uh, the the church has 13 odd pastors on staff because 13 is an odd number, not an even number and not that they're odd pastors. Um, He he doesn't often leave his church but we've been able to pry him away uh, for our men's conference weekend and he's got a quick video clip. If you guys can just put that up. Well, hello to all of the men at Heritage Christian Centre Bundaberg. I am so excited to be with you at your men's conference. I love the theme that Pastor Errol has already told me about today. Today is the day of salvation. And I have to tell you, man, when we get together, something special happens. There's something that stirs in our spirit as we're prompted and we're called to action. And I want to tell you, I have a word burning in my heart that I really want to share with you. And I know it will stir you and prompt you to take action in your life. And look, at the end of the day, I'm a local church pastor as well. And my greatest joy is to see men in the local church rise up and stand up and be counted and make a difference in our church, our families and our community. So it'll bless my heart to see you there. And I'm so excited to be with you. We'll see you real soon. Yeah, well, hello so. to all of the men at Heritage. You can stop him putting me back on. <laughs> uh, I am so looking forward to hearing Nathan. Now, I've heard a number of reports that uh, he's probably the best preacher no one's heard of. Uh, things like that. And there's something about just spending time with him and, and some of the character of his heart and life. And I, I really believe that God is knitting us together with, with ministries that have a same kind of heartbeat, that the family of God is, is always about family. It's about linking together and it's about growing together. And one of the things about if you are visiting with us, and, and Carly said it, we, we'd love to tell you about us. But you know what? We'd also love to hear your story. I mean, your, your story is important to us because we all have different stories. We all have different journeys and your story is important. It's not, a, it's not a non-event. It's not all about us telling you about us. We want to hear your stories as well. And that's really important to me. Okay, last week we, we talked about prayer, prayer and fasting. I want to continue that 
Um, and so I'll launch in from the end of last week's message because we looked at um, one of the best ways to learn to live as a real Christian is always in our intimacy with the Lord, not the religiosity, but their intimacy. And it's developed in a number of ways. We often call them spiritual disciplines. That's living a life of worship and that's learning to have songs in your heart. I love it when I wake up in the morning and there are songs in my heart, songs for joy and of grace and challenge, different songs. And, and I've recently listened to the youth album, the Relevate Youth album, and it's, it's stirring things in my life. Been in the background in my office and, and sometimes I focus and listen to it so I can in clarity hear the message it's trying to convey. And I love it. So singing and worshipping, but also a whole life as an act of worship, uh, reading and studying the Word of God, uh, getting the Scriptures to understand them with wisdom and knowledge so that we can apply them properly to our lives, not religiously, not with the letter of the law, but with the spirit and heartbeat of God, learning how to handle those Scriptures properly, and prayer and prayer and fasting, which is really just a, it's just a sort of religious term for communication, learning to communicate with God. And with him, not to him, not at him, but with him. Prayer, prayer is also admitting and demonstrating that we're incapable of fulfilling God's will without God's power and God's direction. Not one or the other, but both. You know, some people get into uh, prayer and, and they're always only just praying for God's power in their lives and, and, and they. They want to fast and, and pray and fasting for them is like a hunger strike to manipulate God or to pressure God into doing what they want. When fasting and prayer is about God, I want to learn to hear more clearly what you're saying to me, to take time to stop in the busyness of life and, life and to learn to hear your voice. It's a time for us to have an honest conversation with someone who loves us most and knows us the very best and still loves us knowing everything about us. And so I want us to continue to look at fasting, and not because it's we've just finished a week of it, but to make it a part of our whole life. And I think if we approached it with the right heart, we could actually enjoy it. You see, if our focus is on refraining from things, then we miss the most important thing about fasting and prayer, which is about coming into His presence. Now, I, I am not going to say we don't have to refrain. That's just not a reality. But that's not where our focus should be. The eyes of our spirit should, should be looking at this connection with God. About how, God, how do, I, how do I put blinkers on, on everything else in life and just take some time in my daily routine to pray and seek your face and with fasting and prayer, a little bit more time to spend it in your presence about increasing our intimacy. So fasting and prayer is an, another means at our disposal to develop that increasing intimacy with the Lord and it becomes something that then increases our effectiveness as believers in a witness to the world as well. Jesus spoke about fasting as something that we should do. And he gave a time frame. He, he, he was challenged with a question by religious leaders. You know, why don't your disciples fast like John's do? And he said, well, how can disciples fast? You know, how can the guests fast when the bridegroom's there? 
It's like when you go to a wedding feast, you don't fast, you have a feast. And depending on where you are, it depends how big the feast happens to be. Uh, you know, and I think that's really important. Um, I, I had a friend, she, she, got, she was in a youth group in Rocky, went to the islands to get married in the islands with a, this islander. And her father went with her. And because he was the head of the family tree, uh, he got to sit at the head of the table, not the bride and groom, the, the father of the bride got to sit, not with the father of the groom, but with the elder of that family tree. So it was an uncle who actually was older than the groom's father. And they got to sit and they got first pick of everything. You know, and it was like a huge feast. Well, this is learning to put our eyes off the natural food, but get them into this spiritual sense. I want to feast in the presence of the king. I, I want to come and draw near to the one who, who says come. And so Jesus is now gone to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit to be with us. And he said at this time then, between his departure and his return for us, he says that's when his disciples will fast. And he says this in Matthew 6, 18, 16 to 18. When you fast, do not be somber, look somber as the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces to show others their fasting. Telling, uh, truly, I tell you, they have received their reward already in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what you have done in secret will reward you. So, so here's your sense of don't put on a big religious show about fasting. It's about, God, I want to seek your face. Uh, I'm, I'm going to look like I'm just getting on with life. Uh, you know, did you eat? Well, I'll, I'll have a, I might have some lime, lime, lime with water or something. And, and just try and be as inconspicuous as possible in our fasting. And so I, I want a journey. I want fasting to be a normal part of our life. Not when we just have it for the church for a week, which is important. We do this every year near the past, start of the year. And I think it's important for us to do it corporately as well. But it's something that should be a normal part of our life. And so whether you do it every week or fortnight, whether it's a meal or a day, whatever, or a month, you just take a day, whatever, it should still be a part of our life where we step back from the the routines of life where we choose to go, I, I'm going to leave YouTube off. I'm going to turn the telly off. I'm going to miss a meal and I'm going to set my focus, not on what I'm missing, but on what I want to do, which is come into his presence. And so by disconnecting from the distractions of the world around us, we get the opportunity and the privilege of the attraction of God. We get to spend time, not distracted, but attracted to God. And it can bring a supernatural freshness into our lives. So if you're feeling spiritually dry or barren, or like, God, what is there? You know, get into prayer and prayer and fasting, get into His presence and get that attraction to God where you like fall in love afresh with the one who loves you. Let that supernatural freshness, that, that fire for God, that, that first love rekindle. And in fact, in Revelation, when, when the letters, John, John's writing letters to the churches, he's addressing two of those issues, those that have you lost your first love and have you gone lukewarm? And prayer and prayer and fasting is saying, God, I need you. 
In fact, I'm going to step away so I can draw near, that I can rekindle the fire of my first love, that I can get the passion that I had in the beginning or that I've had in my life and I get that freshness again. It's not so much a restraining, but it's a focus on something better. Now, there's real dangers that sometimes happen, you know, because we can get focused on getting away from stuff. And in the parable of sower and seed, we have that problem that one of them doesn't sow. He gets distracted. It says there's a problem. Sorry, not that one. The parable of sower is about the deceitfulness of riches and the distractions of the cares of this life. And so, God, all these things, I want to blinker my spirituality so I can focus on you, that I can see Jesus, that the soil of my heart will be ready to have the seed of the Word of God germinate, take root and grow healthy, that I can put off the weeds of this world and the distractions of life. It helps me keep focused on the one who has my best at heart. Proverbs says this in 4.1, Hear my children the instructions of the Father and give attention to no understanding. In chapter 4, verse 20, my son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Paul tells Timothy, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. What are we going to give attention to? The distractions or the attraction of God? The distractions of the world or the attraction of God? What are we going to give our attention to? Refraining from the distractions or committing to the attraction? It's much easier if we commit to the attraction because the thing we don't want to do, if you focus on that, you'll do it. I'm going to quit smoking. 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 I feel like a smoke. You know, it's like if you focus on the negative, it will catch you. So God, I want to focus on the attraction. What's it going to be like as I spend more time in your presence? God, I I can see you. I can know you more intimately. As I draw nearer, I'm sensing your presence more regularly. I'm aware of your glory. I'm aware of your manifest presence over my life. And as I keep moving toward the attraction of God, then my life is continually being transformed. Paul talks to the Corinthian church when they're getting their focus back on Jesus. He says this in 2 Corinthians 3. Nevertheless, verse 16, when one turns to the Lord. I love the imagery. When one turns to the Lord. Implication, turning away and turning to the Lord. The veil is taken away. In other words, there's this thing that's hindering our, our connection. Now, the Lord is the Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we, we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. The word metamorphosed, metamorphosis, like a butterfly, chrysalis, grub, chrysalis, butterfly, transformed into what God has. Uh, be transformed into that same image. You are transformed into what you look at, what you set your focus upon. And if I look under Jesus, then I'm being transformed into the image of Christ from glory to glory. Implication from glory 
to glory, to glory, to glory, as I keep my focus on Him. So prayer and prayer and fasting are, are us keeping our focus, for getting away from the distractions and keeping my focus. And as I'm focused on Him, I am drawn more and more toward Him and am transformed more and more into that same image from glory to glory. Taking special time, looking to the Lord will day by day transform us. This week we've just been through should not be this once off thing. It should be something that moves us as a church, but inspires us individually to a life where we go, God, I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray and fast. Every Christian should have a passionate desire to actually be a Christian. Just a thought. Just a thought that if we're going to call ourselves Christians, we best start to know what that is and live like that. A Christian is one who says, my life is like Christ. I'm a Christ-like learner, follower of Him. So I want to look at a natural example that gives us some principles that, that happen when we pray and pray and fast and we, we seek His presence. Now, I'm just going to touch the main points. You can read the whole chapter. It's 1 Chronicles 12. And, and what's happened is Saul has been killed in battle. His three sons, including Jonathan, who is one of David's best friends. Um, and so now what happens is this ragtag, diverse bunch of guys turn up around David. And so these guys gather around David and I want to look at some of their qualities. So I'll jump through the, the, some of the verses. In 23, verse 23 of 1 Chronicles 12, it says, These were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped for war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the word of the Lord. And verse 24 talks about 6,800 men for, you know, turned up. They were armed for war. In verse 25, it says there were men of valour fit for war. Uh, in verse 29, the sons of Benjamin, relatives of Saul, 3,000, who had, until then the greatest part of them had remained loyal. These were loyal men to Saul's house. But listen, the character trait is loyal. They were faithful. Saul's now dead. They're going to move from that because you can't be faithful to the dead. He's now, there, now they're going to commit their faith, faithfulness to David. And then you've got another, another bunch of famous men uh, from Ephraim. Then you've got men who are designated by name to come and make David king. You've got in uh, verse 33, it says there were men from Zebulon, expert in war. Uh, you've got the, the Danites who, are, who could keep battle formation. Those of Asher could also keep battle formation, just 40,000 of them. Can you imagine having 40,000 men in a battle who could keep formation? That's pretty good. Uh, you know, there's a guy over there somewhere. Is he out of step? <laughs> it's like they could keep formation. And it goes on in verse 38. All these men of war who could keep ranks came to Hebron with a loyal heart to make David king over all Israel. And all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. And they brought their supplies and there was joy in Israel. So, so here's the things. Some of these men, the equipped for war people, they're armed for war. So these equipped people, they're proven. 
They're proven people of, of tactical supply. They've got all they need for the battle. They're armed properly. They're fit for war means they've actually been trained. They actually know how to use their weapons. So we have proven tactical supply and proven ability. You've got Saul's people who are loyal, who are now with David. They've proven their loyalty. You've got famous men who've got proven ability. You've got people designated by name who've proven their unity of purpose. Expert in war, again, proven ability, could keep battle formation, proven unity. You've got armed for battle, again, tactical supply. All these men who could keep ranks, proven unity, one mind to make David king, proven unity of purpose. Verse 23 says it this way, they came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him. Listen, their unity and purpose was in according to the word of the Lord. Listen, you can have all these other things, but if it's in the wrong direction, there's a problem. But these all had a unity according to the word of God. And it brings great joy in the whole nation. See, the, the spiritual parallel comes out of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10.4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. See, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our job is not to kill people. Our, our job is not to go and slash people. Let's, let's, go, let's go in and kill every person who's not a Christian. No, no, no. Our job is against spiritual issues. It's pulling down strongholds, primarily often in our own minds, wrong thoughts and processes and belief systems, pulling down strongholds, the weapons we have. We need to learn how to be equipped in them, learn how to exercise ourselves in them. In Ephesians, it says this in 6.10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armour of God so you can stand against the attacks or the wiles or the deceptions or the distractions of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So church, please, our attack is not against people. It doesn't, it's not against sinners. Sinners sin because sinners are sinners. Our attack is they've been deceived and distracted and deluded by the enemy. And so if we can destroy the source of their problem, they can be free. Let's not attack them. Let's deal with the source of the problem, which is a spiritual issue. So he says, these things are in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God so you can withstand an evil day. And then having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Then it gives me a description. Your waist girded with truth, a breastplate of righteousness, your feet carrying the preparation of the gospel. Listen, the gospel of peace. 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 Christmas. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. God's heart toward people is peace and goodwill. Our heart toward people should be peace and goodwill. Have this, above all, the shield of faith. Those believe the truth, which are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take their helmet of salvation. Those, I know that I know that I know that he has rescued me. He shed his blood for me. I have a communion to remind me of the salvation I have that I, that I got, that I'm working out and that I will receive. 
And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Listen, the Word of God. What does God say? Man, don't misquote Scriptures to say everything the Scriptures say is God saying something. Often it's not. Sometimes it is. Then he finishes up with this. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. So prayer and prayer and fasting. These are keys to help us put on and help us use the armour of God in our fight against spiritual principalities and powers so that we can set captives free, that we can deliver the oppressed, that we can bring good news to the poor and recovery of sight can be declared to the blind and everything can be opened up that people might know Jesus because they see the heartbeat of God in us. Gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, a God who relents and doing harm. That ought to be the reflection of a Christian's life. One of the most powerful weapons we have is this prayer and prayer and fasting. It is disciplined, increasing intimacy with the Lord, gives us unity of purpose, gives us a continuing supply and a developing ability. And these things will be proven in our lives. Intimacy with the Lord is an essential weapon, both in our defence and in our offence against spiritual enemies that will rise up to stand against us. And it's in prayer and prayer and fasting that we are equipped, armed and made fit for spiritual battle. It's corporate and personal prayer and prayer and fasting. These things help us develop this unity among one another, both in our function and in our hearts, a unity of purpose, a unity of activity, and a unity with the will of the Lord. And there's one other area I do want to look at as we get toward the end of the message. And and it does relate to prayer and fasting because it relates around our intimacy with God. It's a very powerful thought, and I want to be a little bit vulnerable here. Um, some of you who are a little bit more mature will remember a band called DC Talk. Okay, they had a song called What If I Stumble? Uh, and, and it's a song that touches a place in my heart because it addresses an ever-present thought that tries to plague me. A thought that wants to demoralise me and drag me down into despair. A thought that wants to restrict me and hinder what God wants to do in and through my life. And I suspect in many others as well. Let Let me read a portion of the song. Father, please forgive me for I cannot compose the fear that lives within me or the rate at which it grows. If struggle has a purpose on the narrow road you carved, why do I dread my trespasses will leave a deadly scar. Did they see the fear in my eyes? Are they so revealing? This time I cannot disguise all the doubt I'm feeling. What if I stumble? What if I fall? What if I lose my step and I make fools of us all? Will the love continue when my walk becomes a crawl? What if I stumble? And what if I fall? There is in me, I suppose, others as well, a fear that wants to rise within, a fear that I will displease God and mess up, a fear that wants to cause us to wrap ourselves up in a world where we never fail. And sometimes the only way we can see that, that we, could not, we would never fail, is if we just hide away and do nothing. 
And in the parable of the talents, Jesus addresses that doing nothing is failing. And so the truth of it is that there is no way in our Christian life that we can live for the Lord without failing to some degree. And the enemy wants to torment us with a fear of failing that would hinder us from having a go. You know, it's better to fail doing than to fail by not doing. And the truth is the only way to move forward is to do something with the chance that you might fail. What if I get it wrong? Let me answer that because that is the best way to address this fear is answer the question, what if I do stumble? What if I do fall? And in the middle of the song, there's just this two-line comment. And it says this, I hear you whispering my name. So you've got to learn to hear his voice. You said your, my love for you will never change, never change. So the answer to the question, what if I stumble? What if I fall? Will the love continue is yes, yes and yes. Yes, you will stumble. Yes, you will fall. But yes, my love will continue. And that's why prayer and prayer and fasting is so important, is that in the midst of our failures and in the midst of our struggles and our fears, He will continually love us and draw us back. And as we know Him, as we draw near to Him, as we pray and pray and fast and worship and let the Word of God dwell in us, we become more like Him. We know His heart, that His love for us will never fail, like the musicians sing us to come. Songs like Nothing Like Your Love and No Greater Love on the, the Relevate Youth Collective album. They actually speak about how much God loves us. They speak about that. And you know, songs are wonderful, but you know, they have to come into our hearts as a revelation, not just as nice words. They have to come into our heart as a revelation of God speaking to us. I love you. I've shared it here before. One of, one of my great encounters with, with God personally was, was when I was struggling and I asked God a question uh, sort of in, in, in a wrong attitude. It's like, God, I always miss out. And I heard God speak to me and said, you're my son. You will never miss out. See, I don't always understand the journey and, and I continually face fears like everyone else. But I know a revelation of Hebrews 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. You know, dad's out taking his little two-year-old girl to the fireworks. They're watching the fireworks and the little girl tugs on daddy's arm and dad looks down at her and she says, Daddy, I'm scared. What's our response? You know, don't be stupid, it won't hurt you. Or do we take them up in our arms and hold them close and let them snuggle in? And in that moment, we speak gently and kindly. I'm here, darling. It won't hurt you. See, both have the same comment, it won't hurt you. But how do we view it? 
We all, we all would say, oh, we, we would choose this, but how many parents do I know that would be quite aggressive? Don't be stupid. How we view God makes a huge difference to our understanding. More and more I find in my prayer life, as poor as it is, is the continual developing of relationship that shows me my Heavenly Father in the light of that second response. I've been a Christian for over 40 years and a minister for nearly 40. And I still get scared of the future sometimes. The challenges ahead of me sometimes seem far beyond me and my ability. And most people don't see that. And the reason is that I tug on God's arm and go, Daddy, I'm scared. And He picks me up and He holds me close. And He tells me He's got it all. And even if it hurts, He's there to heal me and make me better in the end. Then I can face the day a little more courageous and a little bit stronger, with a little bit more hope and a bit more confidence. So if I look calm and assured, it's only because I know my Heavenly Father has a good plan for me. And even if I stumble, even if I fall, He'll be there to pick me up. I know I won't always make right decisions no matter how hard I try. I do know He will keep loving me. I'll make wrong choices and they may not seem big to others, but when I realise it, I go humbly back to Him in repentance. I know that He freely forgives me because of what Jesus has done for me and for every other person. And then after He's dusted me off and stood me back up, and I get going again, that's when people usually see me after I'm dusted off and standing up again because He's lifted me up and set my feet on a firm foundation. Church, I struggle and second-guess myself at times, but I don't second-guess the fact that God loves me and that God will bring me back to the right way even if I wander and that He cares He cares for His church so much that He will guide me and help me for your sake as much as mine because He loves you as much as He loves me and as much as He loves Jesus. See, God desires intimacy with us much more than we realise or imagine or even believe. That's why it says, come. Whosoever will may come, come to the throne of grace and find mercy and grace to help. The door is wide open to come into His presence, to know Him intimately. He made the way open for every person. And all that is required is repentance from wrong and a turning away from those things to turn to look at Jesus and follow Him to live His way. As Lord and Saviour, He made a way that we can develop this intimacy. And so we do need to pray. We do need to pray and fast. We need to worship in songs and with our life. We need to study the Scriptures like Paul tells Timothy. But we need to develop an intimacy 
with God because it's that intimacy. It's, it's learning to live in that love that will get us through life and help us rescue others. And maybe you're here today and the picture of God you've got is, the, is this image of a God who's way out there somewhere disconnected. But the truth, that's so far from the truth. The truth is He is here. Truth is Jesus walked among us and He sent the Holy Spirit to live within us. And He calls us and says, whosoever will may come. And if you're not right with God today, He loves you with a passion far more than you can imagine. He knows every fault and every good thing about you and He still loves you. And He says, I want you in my family. He he doesn't want a good resume before He says, come. In fact, a messed up one is probably more true. But He says, come, come. Whosoever will may come. Don't don't expect that you've got to come and be perfect. No, journey. Journey from salvation, through salvation, to salvation when we see Him face to face. But start your journey today. And maybe you're here today and you're not right with God. Maybe you come to church, but you know in your heart you've never, or maybe you have, but you've wandered away, but you've never made that commitment to say, Jesus, I want you as my Lord and my Saviour. In a moment, I'm going to ask us to bow our heads. I want to pray. And I want people, I'm going to ask people, would they raise their hand? I'm going to pray a prayer. I may ask you to come out and stand with me. I'd love to pray with you personally. Not meant to embarrass you, but meant to encourage you and encourage the church to journey with you on a road of faith. Now, if that's you, I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hands. Can we just take a moment in prayer? Bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, in this place right now, you love us all intimately and deeply, even when we stumble and even when we fall. Lord, even when sometimes we think we're going to make a fool of ourselves and others, you still love us and you will work it out for good. So if you're here today and you haven't made a commitment or you need to make a recommitment to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, to accept this God as the God of your life, I'd love you to raise your hand where you are right now. I really would. Come on, I know there's people here today who need to make that decision. You can't can't just keep walking along beside it. You gotta walk into it. God has a river of life for you. Would you step in? Church, in this attitude, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. Maybe you're a little bit embarrassed or maybe there's a challenge in your heart, but you're not willing to respond right now. Look, I'm not gonna pressure you. But I would ask you, would you consider praying this prayer? And then tell people, tell me, tell others. You know, I prayed that prayer today. Tell loved ones, tell family. Would you, church, just all repeat this prayer with me and let it be something real in your heart. Ready? Heavenly Father, I ask you today, forgive me of all my sin. Let me know you intimately. Thank you for saving me. Help me to live for you and grow in my intimacy with you more and more in Jesus' name.